There's no way around through it. Jerron Stanton from Small Town, Ohio, joins us from Pinnacle Peak Recovery in Arizona to talk about his journey and the gifts that led him to where he is. He talks about adjusting his perception and approach to his origin story, his recovery from alcoholism, and striving to be the gift of a solution available for someone that doesn't know there are solutions. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Nider. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Eliminate Billing Advocates. Today we were with Jerron Stratton. And Jerron, he works um, in recovery and as an addiction advocate. I love advocates. Um, he's also a community outreach with Pinnacle Peak Recovery in Arizona. Um, Jaron, being a person in recovery himself, has personally experienced the overwhelming hopelessness associated with addiction. Increasing the awareness of recovery and providing tools for others in recovery is his way of giving back the greatest gift he was given. He is tremendously grateful for the gift of recovery. Jaron, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Shelly, and that was a, that was an awesome introduction, um, and I'm really grateful to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk with you. I always have such a great um, time in these podcast episodes, and I I think I learn as much as anybody else does. So it's such a great platform to just share our stories and talk about you know the journeys that we're all on and will be on for the rest of our lives. That's awesome. And catching up with you uh, about what you have going on and why the podcast exists is really inspirational. Thank you. I appreciate that. And something that we ought to share now that you've brought that up with the listeners is, <clears throat> you know, Illuminate is in the background, right? We do billing and uh, authorizations and we advocate for people that are in treatment. And, and we usually stay in the background. And as a, as a clinical mental health therapist, I really love connecting with people. And I wanted a way that we could reach out to the community and be more involved. And thus the evolution of our podcast. That's awesome. So it's great to hear stories and, you know, just meet new people and, and learn from them. And, and on that note, um, it might be valuable to know kind of some of your background, where, how you ended up in this industry and, you know, anything back there that you want to share with us? Anything back there. <laughs> um, so there is, man, 
Um, so my story is this, and, and if, if anyone's ever heard me share before, so my story, I grew up in a small town in Ohio. Um, we, to a family with, uh, my dad was a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, my mother is in recovery. She has four years now, but growing up was in alcoholism. Um, and we all, in my point of view, did the best we could with what we were given. Um, a series of events that was really outside of my control. And uh, the reason I call it in my biography, my bio, a gift is because it seems I can't look back and pinpoint what it is Duran did to get into recovery. Um, I knew the work it took once I got here, but the series of events that happened for me to get here was very much a gift and given to me. Um, and what I try to repay as often as I can and what I mean by that is, is um, many people don't leave that small town that I grew up in, um, especially someone like me who was raised in a lot of fear. And um, I'm not someone who would ever venture out and make a go at it in a new city. Um, a friend of mine moved out here, told me that it was a better way of living. I was reaching, uh, burning almost every bridge I could when I was back home through alcoholism. Uh, alcohol was my drug of choice. And in a blackout one night, I agreed to move out here. Uh, he bought me the plane ticket and I didn't know how plane ticket works. Again, I don't travel. So I was like, I, you can't refund it. I have to go. Uh, I pack up half a bag of clothes. I come to Arizona and live in his living room. Um, I get a job. He eventually moves back home and I'm out here alone. And what that gave me was, because what I was doing in, uh, in addiction was, I'm surrounding myself with people who did the same thing as me. Um, birds of a feather uh, flocked together. And I, I started off when I was young with a crowd of people who were heavy into academics and eventually realized that my solution to this life, because I, I didn't have the coping mechanisms necessary to be okay, was alcohol. And I needed people who drank like I did. So I surrounded myself with them. But when he moved back home, it was just me. I had uh, landed a job at the real estate school in, uh, in Old Town Scottsdale, and I no one was drinking like I was. So, so it became a little more evident that I had a problem, and, and, and I knew I had a problem early on, but I had never in my life, Shelly, and I mean this, seen a solution to anything, whether that's mental illness, whether that's addiction. I've never had a walking example of somebody saying, yeah, I used to drink like that too. And in some scenarios, quite the opposite. Um, due to uh, the amount that I was drinking, my anxiety was heightened, obviously. So I'd go and see a psychiatrist and say, hey, why do I feel like I'm drowning when I'm awake? Um, and I disclosed in an honest way what my drinking habits were. And he said to me, he said, uh, I don't know why, I don't understand why people drink. And I felt very much alone in what I was going through. Um, what I try to be now, so I got, I was given this, I got lucky. I um, was planted a seed about the, uh, the program that I got sober in when I was 21 and it was nothing about a solution, it was about the fun they were having in the program. And when I decided to walk to that program, someone I had met, one of the very few people I knew in Arizona was sitting in there and remained um, anonymous. And I, five and, a, five and a half years later, I'm still here. Um, I don't want that. 
I would like to be what I what I was not given, which is someone who has a solution to what people are going through and to say, hey, hey, man, me too. Maybe we can do this together. And uh, the gift was given to me, and I just keep trying to give it back. Wow. That's an incredible story. And I, and I mean, I always like to put myself in, in someone's shoes, right? And so I'm thinking you're growing up with a schizophrenic father and a mom who's dealing with alcoholism as well. Your models, you know, didn't exactly give you the, the tools and coping mechanisms that were healthy and would allow you to figure out how to thrive. Oh, almost none, Shelly. Um, I, uh, I want to play the victim here. Um, <laughs> so uh, sometimes quite the contrary in the, in the sense that, um, I don't know. So my, my dad is a paranoid schizophrenic. He used the Bible to manipulate uh, myself and my brothers into believing my mother was a witch, a very literal one. Um, so there's a lot of fear involved in that. He taught us that uh, spiritual warfare was real. So I'd wake up with a nightmare and he'd say, yeah, that's real. <laughs> Uh, and I go back to bed. I live with it. I wore fear like skin. As far as coping mechanisms, um, it was be unseen. That's what I had. Be unseen. Mm -hmm. So you're hiding everywhere you go. You want to fall under the radar and 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 not be seen by anyone. Exactly. Um, and in what. That was uh, validated for me because my mom would you're a good son. Um, if you, John doesn't ask for anything, he's a good son. Um, it, my, my little brother's 10 years younger than us. He very much became our responsibility. Uh, Jaron gave up social uh, events to watch his little brother um, because he's a good brother. Um, all of these things were validated to never express the way I felt. Um, and show up for others and be a good be a good son and a good brother. Yeah, so I'm gonna go back to your models were anything but vibrant and healthy and you know, let's live life to the fullest. And I, and I'm looking at you right now and we just had a little bit of a conversation before we started and it and there is nothing that I that I picked up that said, you know, Jerron is backwards. Jerron came from a little town and he was in a world of hurt there. I don't see any of that, which tells me there's quite a recovery story there. There is. So, um, man, so the recovery story I had, I, I got into recovery. Um, Alcoholism's the elephant in the room. It's, um, I wanted things out of this life. Um, that I couldn't obtain while drinking, and it became more and more evident the more times I've got I got arrested, um, jobs I've lost, and so on. And um, I end up getting sober, remaining abstinent, and working this program um, in the same house that I was drinking in with the same friends who were still drinking. Um, but I believed in what it was that I believed that they had used this to live a life better than what they explained in their story, similar to what I just told you. Uh, still, <laughs> I'm still incredibly difficult, though. I believe it worked for you. I'm unsure if it would work for me. Um, someone, I, I called a sponsor who was given to me, and I start meeting with this man, and it was much different than the role models 
um, that I that I remember growing up, which was you don't trust them. The other shoe is going to drop and something negative is going to happen. So what I would do is, is I would run, um, try to be unseen. He'd call me about doing the work that he had for me. I'd say, hey, man, didn't do it. It was a busy week. He's like, oh, it's okay. I'll show up and we'll do it together. And that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> um, and this man did this all the way as long as I needed him to. Um, he did it as long as I needed him to. And the funny thing about this is, and I was just talking to a friend of mine about this, is the way that these scenarios play out is I show up, I take the action, and the results are very much and many times out of my hands. Um, so I, I show up, I'm, I'm doing this work with this gentleman, um, and the lights, the lights begin to turn on in the sense of the resentments that I hold. Uh, I was listening to what MJ was saying yesterday. In my experience, because these, again, I don't have the tools or the understanding of the way anything's operating. I operate out of anger. I operate out of people to blame. Um, and I remember him talking about my side of the street and the resentments and the anger being the poison I drink trying to hurt you. And I just learned this. And um, I called the, I the IRS because there was a tax situation going on. And I start yelling at this guy on the phone. And he was like, okay, sir, and hung up. And it clicked for me. He doesn't care. And this happens for him very often. And for me, I sat with it for hours. And those lessons I was learning coupled with the experience began to change the way I was thinking and acting. Um, and you, and the experiences that I, were given, I was given due to the program of recovery, this is an ongoing thing. Um, I, I, I worked this program. Um, I just recently started getting into therapy. Um, for me, there's a lot of pain in recovery similar to what MJ was talking about. And it's a heck of a motivator. I have a choice at that, at that point. I pick up these seeds that are planted for me for what I hear people say work for them. They talk about EMDR. They talk about uh, therapy. And for me, I will, I do these things kicking and screaming, uh, many of these things, because I'll tell you, this is the only way to do it. And uh, other people explain different avenues to solutions um, to problems where they've been where I've been. And it usually takes me a few months and quite a bit of pain, but I pick those up and I've been willing to do them as I go. Um, it's, it's a really cool experience. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so I gotta, this isn't really a tangent, but <clears throat> it's an interesting question because I hear you talking about, you, you've been in recovery for how long? Uh, five and a half years. Five and a half years, and you're just starting the therapeutic process of recovery. <laughs> and, and I hear you talk about it being painful, and you're going kicking and screaming the whole way. I remember sitting, and I, I have my own recovery, you know, not necessarily from alcohol and, and addiction, so, but we, I think everybody comes with a story. And, and I remember sitting in a, in a group one time and thinking, I want to go back to where I don't feel and where I don't have to know what my emotions are so I can hide from it or, or I don't have to feel it. But at some point, there comes a time where you go, this hurts, but it's going to hurt less if I pull the Band-Aid off and uncover it and figure it out. Are you there yet? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. So 
with uh what I tried to do, and this is full transparency too. So when I, when I first got into the program that got me sober and saved my life, I did everything I could do to take a spiritual bypass around the emotional side of it. That's what took me four years to try uh, to to go to therapy. The passing of my father, um, and this is another thing about what what showed up for me and the the timing when willingness meets opportunity for me to take that next step. It was working at a company where I was a case manager being trained by therapists and me telling them about uh, my grievances with what it was that they were doing and the <laughs> fact that uh, there was other ways. And they're like, John, that's, and they loved me through it. And they explained to me that emotions are a vital process to living and you're going to have them. Uh, so I print off this emotions wheel. Man, this was what, a year and a half ago. That's kind of embarrassing, right? So I, I put on this emotions wheel and I start to identify the emotions I'm having through nightly journaling. And um, the uh, what I wanted to do again, this is uh, the there's no way around through it. That's what I tried to do when I was drinking was escape from the way that I was feeling. In um, and and I didn't. And in, in what's given to me now are tools to walk through it, but there's no way but through the pain. And what I tried to do um, was, and this is what I'm learning too, so I've been in EMDR for the last roughly year and a few months now, and um, it's been an amazing experience, but, and, and there's no but, except for the fact that the, the kicker is I get the tools to walk through what I've ran from my entire life. And there's no shortcut to that. EMDR is an interesting process. I'm trained in it and I've worked with it. And what I found, and you tell me if you've experienced this as well, is it, it really, for me, once I understood it and had enough of that, of that work behind the EMDR that I realized I had the answers within myself. I knew what they were. I just had to go find them and I needed somebody to help me do that. Is that, I can see you shaking your head going, that's exactly right. It's it's always that too. And I used to, uh, again, I, I'm a very stubborn individual and many people, there's only, so the people who, like my therapist, my sponsor, the people in in uh, in in recovery field that plant seeds for me that I, I look back on and I'm like that really helped. All guide us to the answers that are always within. And many people, myself especially, did not want to hear that. And what I would say is, don't give me that Yoda stuff. What do I need to do <laughs> to, to feel better? And it's like, Duran, only you have the answers. I simply guide you to the water you choose to drink or not. And yes, that's been my experience with the MDR. Well, I want to slap the person that tells me that because I don't want to have to take that responsibility on. You mean it's my job to make me feel good? Don't tell me that. <laughs> I know. Um, and yeah, that, that's been my experience. And the answers are always within and more, more gets revealed. Um, I have no delusion that I'll be a, a perfect person able to navigate things with uh with perfection. Um, I just do the best I can with the tools that I'm giving and I continue to learn forever. Yeah, totally. Which is a great journey, right? To be able to learn and grow forever. Cause yeah, I'm with you. I will never be perfect. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'm going to do it wrong just so I can learn from my wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I'm wondering, as, as your dad passed away, did that, I, I mean, I'm thinking about the dynamic with your dad, and I don't know exactly what it was like, but if I had to guess, I would say that there were expectations, <clears throat> and you wanted to please your dad, and that when he passed away, that may have, I'm wondering if that freed you up from some of those things that you grew up with that kept you kind of tied down. Did you experience that at all? I believe it did, and, I, and I'll, I'll explain a couple a couple um, scenarios that happened. I, 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 I tend to send, uh, share in, in stories that uh, <clears throat> kind of get to the point of what I'm, what I'm talking about. And so I, I start working with a group of individuals who are uh, uh, geared towards the recovering of interpersonal relationships and family specifically. What gets us all there are not being able to function in relationships, so that as well. And um, <clears throat> what they told me to do is, um, because I, I tell them the story, this the, the sob story of what occurred with, with my father, and they asked me what I wanted from him. And the truth of what I wanted from him was to be his son, uh, for him to be my, be my dad. And... Uh, what they what they at, told me to do, what they suggested that I do, was be that without the contingency that he would be anything but who he is. Um, so I would call him. I would uh, check in. The towards the later ends of his life, uh, <clears throat> it didn't. He was he was getting worse. I mean, this is untreated uh, schizophrenia he had since he was a kid because I asked his sister. Um, so I would let him speak while I, I don't know, did the dishes or something. Um, and then I would go back when I'd go back home, I'd go, go and visit him for as long as I could tolerate and try to be the son, um, <clears throat> that I wanted to be for him. And the cool part about that is, was I was able to, um, based off the suggestions of these same people, I was able to make amends to him where I, I, I didn't understand why I would do that. Um, because again, I'm the victim here. I'm the victim. So I make amends to him. Um, and I make amends because I used him as an excuse to, to do the things I did. If you were raised like I was, if you had the father like I was, then of course you would be where I was too. And I use that to drink and I use that to burn relationships to the ground. Um, and that isn't on him. And, uh, I made that amends to him. Um, his response was... I'm sorry for the mother I chose for you. So it wasn't a positive response. That wasn't my experience. Um, but I look back, and this is hindsight. I have a, a, a small sample size of what happens when you, of what I did and what they did. So my brothers, um, my little brother is an absolute perfectionist. So he graduated with a 4.0. He, uh, I think he varsity lettered 12 times. Yeah, so all four years, all three sports. Um, he is he graduates uh, next week from from college. He did all the things that I may have had the delusion that maybe if I did those things, I would have uh, achieved the love of my father. And I watched him go through that and put trophies in front of dad, and it, that wasn't it either. Um, I watched my older brother um, go back, and he did what I wanted to do too: was demand justice for the, the 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 teachings that you gave us that caused us so much harm and turmoil to this point of yelling. And when dad passed, um, 
my older brother regretted that decision. I look back on the text messages that I had for him, and it was always, I love you, regardless of whatever he said to me. And I showed up and tried my best to be the son I could be. Um, and when he passed, I was able to show up for my brothers um, in a way that I would have never been able to do if it wasn't for a program of recovery. Um, I was able to I was able to let him go. Um, and with that, that also led me to the the emotional the emotional work is yes, it's a long-winded answer to, <laughs> to your question. Yes, it did. Well, it's it's not though, because it's so it's so complicated and it's so embedded, right? It's intertwined with relationships and with, you know, these interactions that you had with your dad and this fear base and control and you're gonna you know in hard places without doing recovery you're gonna want to repeat all of those patterns so what I heard you say is you can have a healthy relationship with your brothers now despite what happened when you were a kid because you did take responsibility and you did say this is up to me and you let go of some of that pain yeah it's cool it's very cool it's I love to hear people who can evolve and get past because there's a ton of wounds there. You've been in recovery for a year. You figure you got maybe 10 more left. <laughs> At least. So it, it's, it's funny because when I started it, I was like, okay, what's the plan of action so I fully understand emotions and get past this past trauma? And I realized, um, I don't know, um, a couple months ago, I was like, oh, I just do this now. <laughs> this is something I do. This is just part of our day-to-day -day life because, I mean, I still, right, we're, I'm never going to stop improving and, and working through stuff. And, and then when you have these aha moments, you go, oh, I was doing that. I could do that better. I don't want to say I was doing it wrong, but there's better ways to do that. And I can see that now. But it's progressive. You, it's not like you're going to arrive. Right, and it could, one of the cool, and I'll share this moment I had in EMDR, when I closed a, uh, a core memory with my father specifically, was my thought process was, and in, in, he wasn't able to communicate this, because my experience is, is I wasn't able to communicate my emotions in an honest way, or even see my part in anything that was going on. I was wholeheartedly a victim the entire my entire life. So if you asked me, it was them, it was them, it was them. Um, so for me to explain to you my part in any scenario didn't exist until a recovery happened. He never got it. So what I would always perceive is, is when he would decide to leave, it was as if I was nothing. Like it's easy to walk away, right? And when I, um, in the core memory, I, it was a memory of him walking out of the door and I was getting really into attachment theory reading at this point and uh, learning about the avoidance style that in, no matter it, if you leave, um, if you leave, you still have the physiological reaction internally that causes pain and suffering. And after talking to uh, my estranged aunt on his side, she was like, he loved you boys so much. I came to the realization that it wasn't easy for him to do that. He was simply a sick man. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, and he, it's interesting to see and be able to see your dad 
which I'm assuming you do, is he did the best that he could with what he had, and he was not well. And so to expect that, you know, all of the, you know, the relationship problems that you had with your dad are going to be healed because you've done your work, they're not, because it wasn't well. But when you can realize he still did the best that he could and he gave you what he could, it frees you from that dynamic and you can move on in recovery. Exactly. And uh, it's funny, I start my, uh, I, I did a share a couple weeks ago and I kind of sum it up, uh, the dysfunction, if you will, from the, from the family. And, so, and then I, I follow with, and we all did the best we could with what we, with what we were given. Um, and I believe that. Right. And when you look at people like, you know, I don't like what just happened, but we all did the best we could. It changes the way you see that dynamic and you can deal with it more on facts instead of emotion. Right. Exactly. Like we're all doing the best we can. Everybody wants a good outcome. And, and let's try again with some different parameters. Mm-hmm. So, Jaron, with you in 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 recovery, did you do recovery at Pinnacle Peak? So I did not actually. So this and this is this is this is the the, the truth of it is is I, I grew up in poverty. Um, I, I talk about this gift that was given to me. It's a statistical anomaly. I, the fact that I moved out to Arizona, the fact that I'm sober over five years, the fact that I walked to a meeting um, and stayed are all statistical anomalies, and, and, and what I'd like to call those more are, are miracles and gifts that are given to me. Um, what I am, so it's funny, uh, Pinnacle Peak Recovery is the uh, one of the first jobs I had in recovery. Uh, I believe I had nine months or a year when I started. And I have many of the, the friends from that house I was house managing at who just picked up four years uh, sober. And, and they're really a large part of, of, um, of uh, my life. And what, uh, what I would say here. And they're still a large part of my life, but I believe in what Pinnacle Peak does. And what I want to do is be the person that I did not have, which is knowing that recovery, that rehabilitation in a safe space um, to get that and work towards recovery is an option. Because all I knew was I was poor. Uh, They don't provide uh, rehab to poor people. Um, And that's all I knew. So I never sought. And I love that the way you talk about this support network that you have around you and it, and it's like, these are the guys that did recovery with you. And that's who you, that's, that's how you kind of gathered together. And those who were able to maintain the sobriety or were serious about that. Tell me how that support network works for you and how do you use that to, you know, to stay sober and to continue on that journey? It's it's everything I've ever wanted. Uh, there's a lot of people that talk about um, using your last, the, the bottom, as something that to fear and look back on and sustain your recovery. Remember that last drunk. For me, it was when I was drinking, I was seeking what there was being sold in commercials about the connection with other people that I couldn't seem to get where I was. Um, and when I drank, sometimes I felt a little bit closer because all we needed to drink do was drink to connect. The, the, the network of people in recovery is my entire life, and I, I didn't do it on purpose. It's 
it's the people that will be in my wedding. It's the people that will, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's everything to me. It's, it's the people that reach out to me on my birthday. Um, when I didn't have that before, it's the people where I show up for them. When my dad passed, it's the people that were there for me when that happened. Um, and what happens is, is this, the ripple effects of recovery. And, and so the, the, the network of recovery, my fellowship is everything to me. It's the family that, that I, I didn't have growing up. Um, the ripple effect of that is, is that my family gets a version of me from the things I'm taught from that, from that network of individuals to be passed on to them. So when my dad passed, they got someone who could show up and tell them that everything is going to be okay and, and trust me with that process because of what was given to me from that network. And it, that, that's, it's the most important thing in my life. It's powerful. <clears throat> okay, this might be a little too personal, and you tell me if it is, but are you, do you have a significant other at this point? Do, you don't? I do not. No. And so you, you haven't even, I mean, you're like, I need to figure out how to have close relationships, but you haven't gone there, right? Well, so, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, well, th that's, that's the funny thing is uh, where the pain's located is where I dive most into to research and figure out what's going on. So I was lucky enough, goodness gracious. So what happened was, was I, in early recovery, I was unable to connect with other people. Um, and my sponsor told me, he said, Jerron, you're doing this, you're doing the step work, you're doing the service, you're missing the element of that fellowship and that network I just explained to you, which was so important to me, and he's right. So I went to a meeting and uh, attempted to build this network with no, no idea how to connect with other people, right? Uh, and what I found was a long-term relationship with a girl who I dated for the first two and a half years of my recovery. Um, man, still, still, I was talking to my therapist about this yesterday. Uh, the best girl I've ever dated in uh, my life. And what happened? What happened with that was was um, we seemed to. Uh, I don't want to, we, we, we seem to grow apart. There's complications there. Um, she, she, she was, I mean, she's amazing. I have nothing bad to say about her. My thought process was, was this, there's a lot of things I didn't know. Um, my thought process is, was, was when infatuation faded. Uh, that must mean we fall out of love. I didn't know the average length of time someone stays infatuated is two years. And then after that, you got to actively show up in a way that, uh, you can make a decision to show up and there's a lot of things I didn't know. So we just parted ways mm. and then I've been in the dating world and it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. And, and those kind of relationships, like if you look at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like that's at the top to be able to have this relationship that's, you know, healthy and connected and, where you show up and but you don't depend on them to make you who you are and make you happy and right that takes time and you didn't have that modeled for you so you're like going at this the first time you you know I suspect like the rest of us you're gonna get it wrong a few times <laughs> yes and um and I agree and um I am actively that specifically so what I did was um you're, you're probably familiar with attachment theory, right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So what I did was was sought out because I'm doing EMDR with my therapist and in the way it feels when attaching with people, granted, I probably shouldn't be attaching with, um, what just became very difficult and it's a work in progress. Yeah. Well, that's why they say, you know, if you're in heavy recovery, you shouldn't be in a relationship because that's hard. It's very difficult. And it's also what drives a lot of people back to their drug of choice, right? Right. And that's why I say I got really lucky because, and this is not something I advocate for, but for, yeah, the first three years, two and a half of the three years, I was in a relationship with someone living with her. Yeah. That makes it, it's a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Um, But still a beautiful experience. It really was. Where So I, I'm thinking about attachment theory, and I'm actually listening to Daniel Siegel. Do you know Dr. Daniel Siegel's work? I, yeah. I don't. And that's okay, because there's lots of people, lots of attachment theory stuff out there. But he's specifically, one of the sections of this, it's called the Neurobiology of We. And I, I found the audio online. I think it's only in an audio that you can get it. Okay. But Daniel Siegel is is a psychiatrist and he does adolescence but and he just he talks about attachment theory and he gives you you know the hand model of the brain and how everything's connected and it's pretty incredible the way he puts it together i have to listen to it you know maybe a hundred times before it really starts to make sense but he has just great knowledge around that so i thought you might enjoy that i is it did he write the so it's only an audio book, correct? This one is just an audio. Like he's just recorded talking about okay. it. Okay. He does have books. He has books on adolescence. He has books on, he has several. Um, Mindsight is one of his books that's really incredible. The way he goes into the mind to do trauma therapy is really, there's some similarities to EMDR, but he just talks about it and, and looks at it different. Awesome. I'm definitely going to look into it. He's not yeah. as entertaining as Brene Brown, but but he's good. He's really good. Good. So let me ask you um, about, you say you really love Pinnacle Peak and the work that they do. And I know that you also love providing people with recovery tools. What would you say the number, I don't know, give me one or two or three of your top tools of recovery? My top tools of recovery? Mm-hmm. What do you? What do you mean exactly? Yeah. So when I'm thinking, you know, there's a there's tools to recovery that you would utilize or that I would utilize for for one is the support network. You talked about how important the support network is. What are other activities or skills that people would engage in that would be like up at the top to be successful at recovery? Successful at recovery. Mine, um, so the the support network, for sure, um, a spiritual practice, which works for you. Um, and I would say therapy, something I suggest, definitely. Awesome. Um, it, as far as tools are concerned there. Um, and I kind of want to, I want to share something. So this is, uh, this is a really cool experience I had recently. So <clears throat> I um, I have a friend who reached out to me, and th- this is, uh, she was asking me about uh, psychiatry. 
And I've been through all the phases of recovery where um, I just opened up to therapy last year, right? And then there's uh, psychiatry and um, it's a it's a taboo subject in, in some circles of recovery, right? And I, I've really been able to expand my network through working with psychiatrists and therapists. And um, she reached out to me and she was asking me about psychiatry. And I, I shared with her my experience with this uh, psychiatrist I met with. And I told you about my experience previously. I have a bad one where a psychiatrist told me, I don't know why people drink. Um, and then I had an amazing one where um, 30 minutes into a conversation with her, I was like, what, are, isn't it time for me to go so you can bill me and like write a script? And that was not the way that she operated. She's like, Dron, I really want to know what's going on and see what we can do to help you. I give her <clears throat> the contact information and I get really passionate about this stuff. So I'm telling her about my experience to the best of my ability about how great this was. And if nothing is the answer as far as medication is concerned, she'll tell you, which is very important. Um, I see her at a meeting Tuesday, and I promise this is the first time I ever saw this girl smile. And um, really smile, though. And I was talking to her boyfriend about it. I was like, is she smiling? And it's not just for her. I, I think about, there's a book I read about a gentleman who was paralyzed in his body. Um, can't remember the name of it, but he was paralyzed um, and they thought he was brain dead forever. And it goes through his recollection after he comes out of this. Um, and he, he says he remembers, he gave up for years because he's just a, a vessel. And he remembers the moment when a person walked past him uh, while he was sitting in a car and looked at him in the eyes, which he hadn't been looked at in, in a very long time, and smiled at him in the hope that it gave him to eventually, like, not to get out of it, but the circumstances was it gave him hope to move on. So the smile is for her, so she feels better because of what she's working with the nurse practitioner. But the ripple effects for the rest of us can't be measured. Wow. Which is true, right? And it comes right back to relationship is, and Daniel Siegel, I'll go back to this neurobiology of we, talks about the resonance between people. We're all connected. And when someone walks into the room and smiles, I might hate them, but it doesn't matter. It affects me, right? And it, and it warms my heart. And I'm like, I hate you. I don't want to be happy today. But, but it does affect us and impact us. And so we can use that to impact other people's lives as well. Agreed. Which and I know I, you do it, because I'm sitting here with you going, Jaron's a great guy. I like this guy. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, uh, I try my best not to get too poetic, but I feel that way. Because um, it's, it, it's so much more than just me, it's always, it's always us. And I don't always get to see the effects of the recovery. So um, I, when, I was, when I was drinking, I was sitting in, uh, on my friend's couch and I had a 40 in my hand and he had a family. And um, I, at this point in time, I don't remember how old I was, but I knew I had a problem with alcohol. I just knew I couldn't stop. And um, I saw his daughter run past and I started to cry because I realized that I, I was going to miss out on life by surviving exclusively. 
Um, and when he came back in, the point of the story is, is when the people show up, because I didn't never heard of recovery. I never heard of being vulnerable and saying you and asking for help. When the people showed up and crying, it I soak it back up and I go on as business as usual. Um, I want to be the person that says, I have been through things. Um, you're not alone. And if when you're ready for resources, please ask me. Um, I want to be the person I didn't have and for everyone that I can. And this job, uh, this, this career specifically allows me to represent Pinnacle Peak, which is a company I firmly believe in, um, because I know um, who the owners are down through the employees there. And um, they're a large part of my community as well um, and their character, which is most important. And the programs that we put on are something that I've seen uh, recovery sustained out of. So I believe in it. But I also get to be somebody who meets with therapists and psychiatrists. Um, there's not, I know I had some bad experiences, but I meet with these people and I get to determine if I would send my brother to you. Mm. Um, and then I get to see the results of that sometimes, like a girl smiling outside of a meeting um, and I get to tell the psychiatrist that, and um, these are all things I get to do, but um, just trying to be what I, what I, I didn't have. What an incredible story. I, I mean, I just, you could teach me so much from where you've come from, and I can see how much work you've already done. And I can tell that you really love where you work and, and what Pinnacle Peak is able to do for people, or you wouldn't be there. And I know that this work puts a smile on your face. And, and of course, there's sadness when you can't save somebody or offer them because they won't, they're not open to receive. Um, but I am undoubtedly sure that there are people that are going to want to reach out to you. And if they do, how can they reach you? If they would like to reach me, my, my personal phone number is 567-938-7778. And please feel free to reach out to me for anything um, that, that's going to be drug and alcohol recovery, um, anxiety, depression, co-occurring things. Reach out to me and ask me. I will have a resource for you. Very cool. Jerron, I want to have you on in a year from now so we can see what the next chapter of your life is going to be and, and where you're at then. Um, I'm wondering, do you, are you a reader? Do you read books? Yes. What's what's like one of your go-to books? Oh goodness gracious! Um, uh, Emmett Fox, uh, Constructive Thinking. I haven't read that one, so I get to add it to my list. Thank you. Please do. That's fantastic, Jaron. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Shelley.